This is the Views from the Booth podcast, your reference guide into the world of sports broadcasting. Here's your hosts, J.J. Duke and Joe Vasile. Yes, welcome back to this new episode of Views from the Booth. Thanks so much for joining us. And we've continually put together some really fun shows over the last few weeks. Joe and I chatted last week about handling your finances as a broadcast. And as Joe said, I think it was important. It's a topic that not a lot of people truly take seriously enough because it can be a make or break, not so much of how it makes or breaks your career, but it's the little things that do go a long way. And I know, Joe, for you, this was a show, that was a show that was very passionate for you. And um, it definitely sparked a lot of interest, especially for me. And I'll tell you about that one in a second. Yeah, it's for whatever reason, like, the business side of things and just maybe it's just, I like numbers. So it's, that's another way to express liking numbers um, and caring about the business side of things and knowing that, yes, obviously working on your craft is the most important thing, but you also have, that's a craft in and of itself also is making sure you stay on top of it. Cause you can be the best guy out there or girl out there at broadcasting, but it's going to be really hard to make everything work and juggle a bunch of balls in the air if you're not organized and, and have that business side of things handled as best as you can. The one thing that I took away from Joe's route of keeping everything together is I did add a couple columns in my spreadsheet. I went back over the last week, went through all the old uh, pay, like paychecks or pay stubs and invoices, went back and inputted everything so I know, okay, at this time, three years ago, I was making $65 a game for this school, and now I'm making over 100 so I can keep track of kind of just the improvements as opposed to rifling through my little file cabinet. Yes, still have one of those, but still, as opposed to just going through that and taking an extra five minutes, I could just pull it up, boom, right there. So appreciate the nice little tidbit and the little tip as well. But yeah, um, so after you know, going kind of through the initial topics and looking ahead at what shows we could talk about um, that would help everybody out there in the broadcasting world, uh, one of the big ones for me, and I'm someone that's a bit of a visual learner, but an audio learner as well as what are my reactions as a member of the viewing or watching audience? How are people and broadcasters specifically keeping you engaged in their call? Uh, it could be some of the little things like uh, the tidbits that go along to help boost a storyline or just someone getting excited, but in the right way to keep you engrossed in what's going on. Because everyone will have the quote unquote call, but who's leading up to it that's going to keep you going from start to finish. Um, it's so easy to kind of get into the nuts and bolts and keep it very simple for a call. And yeah, it could be very easy. Like if I was watching a Manchester United Tottenham Hotspur match, I could go along and say, yes, this is Paul Pogba. Now with Bruno Fernandes, Fernandes out wide with Luke Shaw, whips mm -hmm. in across, but it's headed behind for a corner kick. Okay, it's great spice it up a little bit, keep the people involved. So I feel like that's one that another little thing that might not be the most prevalent topics, but something that could really help you keep people engrossed. And if you do that, then when someone else watches a show down the road for you, say, oh yeah, that was a good broadcast that he did last week. I'm going to stay from start to finish. And I don't know about you, Joe, but like this is something 
it wasn't so much that was a learning curve for me on the air, but it took a lot of time to really find my, my unique voice and your unique voice to make the call what it is. Yeah. And I'm glad you, you buttoned it up by saying, you know, my and your unique voice. I think that's what exactly it is. You know, you're looking for, you know, look, that play-by-play of soccer that you just gave with a bunch of guys who I don't know who they are. I've heard of Paul Pogba, but the rest of it, I don't know. Uh, but like any soccer announcer worth their weight is going to be able to give you that, you know, but what are you going to give me that I'm not going to get by listening to anyone else? I almost just said Arlo White or JP Telecamera. Like, let me just pick the two biggest guys. But like, what are you giving me that everyone else isn't? And that's what your voice is as a broadcaster. It's what are you bringing to the table that is unique to you, to your personality, and to the way that you approach each and every game. Um, and that's something that, yeah, it takes takes a long time to develop. And I think it's something that's always changing because you're always tweaking a little bit about you personally. Like you're, I'm not the same person I was two years ago. I've, I've changed whether it was in beliefs or ways that I approach things or what I think is important in my, like you're always changing and hopefully improving as a person. So your voice should be changing along with that so that it stays authentically you because an audience member, whether they're a fellow broadcaster, whether they're a producer, whether they're just a fan, they can hear um, someone when they're not being genuine. And when you're just being you and when you're being genuine, that comes through. Now, they might not be able to identify it or pick it out and say, oh, that feels a little phony. But you, it's one of those things you just know it when you hear it. And the way you get past that is just by developing your voice to be a representation of who you are. Yeah. And I think the genuine bit is really important, right? Because, um, and we're going to talk about this a little later in the show about how people go about their business. Either you go in just guns a blazing, you're super excited about being there. You want to put together a great show and let's face it. That's all what we do on a day-to-day basis where we try to figure out, okay, you know, what is this show? And how is the show going to be unique and different from the one yesterday? Because people, if you have a consistent audience, they're going to be, oh, well, this is just a rinse and repeat from the day before. So how can you freshen things up? And I think that's a great point of how we all grow from years to years. And as I was kind of saying, for me, it's kind of listening and watching a lot of games. Um, And that's how you kind of expand your horizons in your arsenal, because Again, nuts and bolts are great, but how you weave stories in and out of games, how you weave little reference points that maybe you watched a game a week ago mentally filed away and say, okay, the situation may actually work for something that I'm doing down the road, not premeditated, but something that's going to help you. And maybe your listeners will learn something as well. And I think for me, that's a big one. If I'm watching a game and if I come away with it outside of what happened on the field of play or the courts, whatever. But if I'm learning something, then that's job well done. And I just spent two valuable hours or three valuable hours of my time as opposed to saying, well, that was a waste of my life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think a good rule of thumb is if you think it's interesting, somebody in the audience is going to think it's interesting. Like, don't be afraid if you come across something and you go, oh, that's pretty interesting, but I don't know if anyone's going to care. If you think it's interesting, someone's going to care. Um, so just roll with it. 
maybe nobody does care, but at the end of the day, it doesn't make the broadcast any worse to bring up something that maybe was only interesting to you. But it's those opportunities to teach and educate um, on something that somebody might not have known. A trend, you know, this is the first time in 25 years that a player has had four goals in three straight games. That would be insane, and that's probably what the number is. But, like, fans would be interested in that. Um, but uh, So that's probably a bad example. But uh, yeah, I don't think there's anything that you should necessarily shy away from. Like, even you'll see a lot of times in the, in the bios in college, they might get into, like, players' backgrounds. Right. If there's something interesting in there, like – do some extra research and find out more about what that is. Um, we have a, a player at Bucknell, a, a women's basketball player who had her art displayed at the Capitol as part of some congressional art contest when she was in high school. So that's interesting. So I looked that up, figured out what this contest is. And then I got to know a little bit more. And then I got to go a level deeper than what they could have gotten just by reading her bio online and kind of explain a little bit about that when the time was right at a free throw or break in the action or whatever. Um, so it's just those little things like that, that can really enhance um, your voice, your broadcast and, and act as those teaching moments that the audience can come away from listening to you or watching you call a game with something that they might not have known before. Not that you're necessarily like a teacher, you're a broadcaster first and foremost, but if you can teach and entertain at the same time, like that's all the better. And that's just going to make you uh, even more desirable uh, to listen to. And dialing back uh, to a couple of our old episodes, one of those in our prep show, uh, we talked a little bit about kind of establishing the relationships that you have. And this is if you're working with a consistent team, consistent organization or league um, to have those relationships with coaches, with players, and you can go back and talk with them about certain instances. Joe and I were discussing a little bit before the show about, uh, for me personally, I love having chats a week later, not fully like asking, well, why'd you do this? Well, why'd you do that? Or second guessing, but kind of understanding the logic behind certain things or, you know, I see you, uh, for me, actually, a couple of years ago for Fairfield Volleyball, um, a freshman was coming in, was hitting out of this world on the outside for the first few weeks of the season. Then all of a sudden noticed, uh, come conference play time, this player was just only in the back row. And in that sport, back row players, usually they're the ones that you're kind of defensive-minded, passing strong players. So I go to the coach and I ask, hey, so, you know, uh, off in the non-conference season – she was hitting over 310 uh, for your first nine or 10 matches. And I think she's maybe only taken 50 swings in the, the last three weeks. Just kind of curious, uh, was this something that was established or is she doing something a little bit different on the practice court? And then he went on to explain about why this player is just, you know, she can do all these things offensively, but her passing range is one of the best that they've seen for an outside hitter and just feels that they could, you know, best balance a team by having another really solid defensive player. And when the time comes upon, you rotate them into an attacking position, keep them consistent hitting on the pin. So like things like that learning you can bring to a broadcast and having those relationships 
Um, in and amongst what Joe was saying, just do your little extra homework and understanding why players, you know, kind of who they are, like Didi Gregorius. I know he's not a player that we talk about on our teams, but we get to be a fan of him. I mean, this is the most renaissance man in baseball we've seen in years where he's a photographer, a pianist, you know, not bad at baseball. He does all his humanitarian things. I mean, he's literally a guy that does everything, but you can put together like an entire inning of just talking about stuff that Didi does off the field. And now we feel like we know him, not just as a baseball player, but a shortstop for your Philadelphia Phillies. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like those are the things that I think make or break really your broadcast because let's face it, both of us have had baseball jobs where you get into the month of August, this game 110 of the season, you're trying to find something to talk about in a game that might just be crawling along and you just refer back to some of the things that you had chats with that then all of a sudden you get a nice little conversation with your partner and three innings later you realize oh wow we had some good stuff there yeah like that's that's one of the things that is so important in a baseball season especially like you can't just talk about what is happening in the game (laughs) like that's just it, you're you're gonna drive yourself crazy. You're gonna drive everybody listening to you crazy. Um, you gotta inject some of that personality into it, um, and that's like you said with the relationships. Going to a coach and asking them about a specific piece of strategy. Uh, I think most coaches, in my experience, and most managers, when you do that, are going to be open to having that discussion because they know you're the one on the air. And they want, you know, they don't want you questioning why or speculating why. It's like, oh, coach said this is why. Like, here's the rationale. And then, like, they're okay with that because, yeah, that's that's the reason. You're not speculating. You're not criticizing. You're just reporting. Um, but also, like you said, with listening to um, to other broadcasters and picking things up from them, how you work those things in and and do it organically. So it's not just, it doesn't feel like it's forced or shoehorned in just when you mention a player, like you don't have to, to give the DB Gregorius example, like you don't have to say any of that every time he's at the plate or anytime he's at the plate, you can just kind of bring it up or just kind of, Uh, very occasionally mention it in passing. You've got a ton of games, a ton of innings. There's always going to be time to talk about things and things, like I said, that aren't the game in front of you. What's going on in Baltimore? What's going on in Boston? How about what's going on in the country right now? That's something to talk about on a baseball broadcast at the current time. Like if there's anyone out there who is currently working for one of these summer collegiate leagues that are playing games like, You've got Major League Baseball restarting. All right, there's some extra stuff to talk about. Like, even if you're in the minors, talk about that. Um, If you're broadcasting college soccer, don't shy away from comparing a player to an MLS player if it's an appropriate comparison or an NWSL player if it's appropriate to do so. Um, You know, obviously, don't call the worst player on the team. Like, oh, she really reminds me of Mia Hamm because that's ridiculous. Um, Or Carly Lloyd. But, like, you want to make sure that those outside references still have something to do with what is happening. You don't want to get too far off track, but also make sure you spice it up. So it's not just like 
I'm trying to think of the word I'm looking for, but it, it, so that way it's not just like dense, uh, you know, you open a book and there's no pictures. Um, right. You know, you want some pictures in there. Yeah, I always love a book with good pictures. But no, I, I definitely think the point that you said about um, making sure that you have enough bullets in your artillery so that you can last an entire season. Because, yeah, if you're doing a one-off, and we'll get to that in a moment, um, if you're doing a one-off, yeah, you're going to try and fit as much as you can in an appropriate manner. But if you're grinding out an entire season – yeah, you know, just keep this stuff in the back of your mind. Or as Joe mentioned in the prep show, he has this little one-notes uh, system that he just jots some stuff down when the time comes. You can pull it up and you go for it. So, yeah, those are definitely ways to help your call. And I know it's we're basically talking about filler time um, or just describing things that are happening that's not actually happening on the field or on the court at that specific moment. But again, it's much better and much more interesting for your audience to know about these little side stories, as opposed to just, again, having so-and-so passes to their friend. Now it's on the near side. We don't need that. Just, you know, roll and have flow. And this doesn't happen overnight. Let's be very clear. You know, our first games were exactly what I was saying. It's nuts and bolts. Um, But as you grow and as you continue to do what you're doing in the broadcasting business, these things will come and all of a sudden it just truly becomes second nature. Um, Yeah. I'm sorry. Just to to kind of bullet bullet it up and, and kind of button it. Like people love Vin Scully because he told these great stories, but in telling all those stories, he never lost what was most important, which was the game. Like when it was, you know, bottom of the ninth in the 88 World Series game one and Kirk Gibson's coming up to the plate, Vince Scully's not waxing on about the Pullman strike and how that created Labor Day. He's, he's calling the game and he's mentioning, well, Kirk Gibson's had some injuries this year and is gutting through it, like, which is important. It's good to know. But, you know, he appropriately knew the moment is the thing. This is not the time to go and tell a, a wacky off topic story that people are going to love and that love people love him for. So it's, it's knowing that as well. So I, I feel like I just want to at least hammer that home. Is like with all the outside stuff, with all everything else, like you have to know the situations of when to employ that and when to just do the so-and-so passes to so-and-so passes to so-and-so he shoots, he scores like, there are times where that is what you need to focus on. Absolutely. I do have to ask you before we move on. Did you uh, ever do one of those Vin Scully story generators? No, no, I never did. I did. And that will be for another day, but boy, it was a (laughs) doozy of a story. Um, Yeah. So what we're kind of referencing on a lot was um, things that I could see myself and Joe, maybe to some extent for you, things that we would do if we were calling a game on our own. Now, fortunately enough, once you get going and, you know, once you start getting gigs that are a little bit bigger, you're going to start working with an analyst if you're a play-by-play person, or if you are an analyst right now and you get to work with a good play-by-play person, chemistry on the air is so important because it still abides by the same rules that we were discussing where if you're in, Uh, invest in the game then your audience is going to be invested then if you have two people you can't have just one be all in and the other just kind of step to the side there has to be that happy medium to go but the beauty of it is for a play-by-play person when you're working with an analyst they're there for a reason which is to analyze but at the same time you've had some great 
uh, broadcasting duos over the year or trios because sometimes you have a three-person booth and you could just sit there and listen for hours because they just know how to balance off of each other. You know, someone's going to have the wit, someone's going to have the sarcasm, and someone's just going to play kind of the peacekeeper moderator in the middle. Um, Obviously, a lot of people are probably thinking of the Mets trio right now. Yes, that would be the spot on answer. But the beauty of it is – and. you and I have also worked with a couple of similar partners in years past as well. For you, when you work with someone, how do you try to get the best out of your partner? And ultimately the partner gets the best out of you. Well, I think the most important thing is, and I am very guilty of not doing this as well as I should have. So this is going to be me giving advice. I don't necessarily always follow uh, as I would like to, but the most important thing you can do is prep for your partner. If this is someone who is, you know, working their first game, that's going to be a little bit difficult. But if it's someone who's worked a little bit, find a game that they've called or a couple games that they've called and listen to them. Like, just like you would scout an opponent, scout the analyst. What are the things that they like to do? What do they bring up? what is their style? Do they have these great stories? Are they more like a technical X's and O's kind of a person? You know, I've worked with basketball analysts that are very good at breaking down individuals. Um, I've worked with other analysts that are better at breaking down the team concepts. So knowing that going in, then I can ask the right questions and steer the conversation in directions um, that I know is going to fit into their strengths or at least what they're comfortable in doing. And I'm not going to put them on the spot to have them do something that they might not be comfortable in doing on the air. Um, But also not only that, but knowing what's their personal history. Um, You know, when they were a player in all likelihood, even if it's an ex coach, they probably played. If it's an ex player, obviously they played, but like knowing who they played for, what championships they won, were they teammates with Michael Jordan? Like I've never worked with anyone who was a teammate of Michael Jordan, but like with the last dance coming out, you bet if I was calling a game with somebody who maybe had been in his circle at a point that would be getting brought up on the air. Um, You know, just those kinds of little things that you can kind of, again, just know, and maybe just, even if it's a passing reference, um, but knowing a little bit about them and their personal history will help you feel like you know them better when you sit down to work with them for the first time. Um, and then obviously there's the typical ground rules that you would lay down before of just, all right, let's get some hand signals going so we can have some nonverbal communication about, all right, if you have something you want to say, just, you know, raise your hand or stick a finger or your pen up in the air and I'll see it and I'll lay out to get to you or at the end of this play, I'll lay out as fast as I can. And then you go until the ball gets across midcourt then it's back to me or just whatever it is um, that you need your ground rules to be. Uh, I think that's the most helpful thing going in. And, and also I try to be a good partner before that process. If I schedule a conference call with a coach to talk to them before the game, I always tell my, my analyst, Hey, I'm going to try and schedule a call with a coach. Feel free to hop on and we can do it as a three-way call or I'll type up my notes and I'll send them to you if you're, if you're not able to. So that way we're on the same page about what coaches have said. um, And we've talked about a couple of storylines going in and and keys and things that we want to hit on. 
If I read it, an interesting article that I want to bring up, I'll send that along uh, just to make sure, again, that we're on the same page. And if the game uh, allows for it, we can have these discussions and it's not going to take anybody uh, off guard. Um, so that's the biggest thing for me, at least going into someone for the first time, uh, is just kind of understanding who they are as an analyst, who they are as a person, and then that open line of communication in the week or so uh, leading up to uh, the actual game. Yeah, I mean, you pretty much hit almost everything I was going to add to it, but there are a few things I would go as well. Um, if I were to do conference calls, because I always record those calls, I usually send them whatever the audio and ask to see if they wanted to add any questions in to the line of fire. Um, I try to do my best, and I'm not going to put in the pretense of being buddy-buddy with the person, but like, if you have a chance to spend at least a little time with your analysts, do so. Whether it is even just those, you know, week before phone calls or day before phone calls, you know, yeah, you can scout them a little bit, but at the same time, it's just, it's good to have those conversations and kind of just, you know, find out a little bit about themselves in the sense of like, Hey, saw that you called this game a week ago. You know, curious to hear your thoughts from the actual venue, because obviously we can only see so much on TV or, you know, just like the little things like that. Um, I've been fortunate enough to work with some people in the sense that been able to break them in and help them get going or have them be their first couple of games. So to kind of watch people grow and to work with them in the sense of, you know, getting a few games under their belts, great. And then seeing how they bring their style. For me as a play-by-play -play person, your analyst is the person that's going to be shining the brightest. I mean, it's their stage. You just are being the traffic cop at the end of the day. The analyst is going to be the one that will help break things down so it's easy for the viewers at home. So <laughs> let them do what they do. And if there's someone that's just – uber passionate about a super sport um when i did the Big East field hockey championships this past fall so 2019 i was working with a woman that never did broadcasting before but she was an all-league player an american she was a former referee um worked with a uh, former coach as well at the assistant coach level so i'm like okay this is literally going to be a walk in the park for you if you see something and not to be the New York Metropolitan, uh, the MTA authority, say something. Just, you know, go ahead and roll with it because I'm going to learn something. I'm probably going to ask follow-up questions, which again goes back into just getting that filler time because those people, when they're young and when they're, they haven't had that much experience being an analyst, they look for the cues. And if you kind of give them that reassurance, it's on their way. For those that are experienced, they don't need those cues as Joe was talking about. Just make sure to not tread on their toes when they're analyzing a play. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's a great point, especially, like you said, with breaking someone in, just letting them feel comfortable in talking. If you see something, use your expertise, say something. And, uh, and then, yeah, of course, if you can sit down face-to-face -face when it's finally legal to do that, uh, before you get on the air with them for the first time, then yes, absolutely do that. Go get lunch, get dinner, get a cup of coffee, just get to know them and spend some time away from the sporting environment. Uh, and that's going to help you so much with your chemistry on air also.
Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, if you're able to hit that peak partner chemistry, which is basically the ability to bounce back and forth, not even have those verbal hand cues as Joe was talking about and have just this show that, you know, you're just, you know, feeding off of each other, making it work. That is really kind of, you don't often have those perfect ones, but hey, if you're able to hit that peak chemistry, then believe me, it's going to be fun for you. And it's going to be even more fun for the people at home, because like I said, they're learning, they're enjoying the experience because that's mm. really what sports is at the end of the day. It is an experience and a journey from start to finish. Um, and speaking of enjoying the game now, this is kind of the one that I had a little fun with in my prep work and actually ended up putting in the wrong version that I wanted to, but <laughs> there is a difference at the end of the day as a broadcaster, as being a fan of the game versus being someone who is, I typed it in as a press box cheerleader, but it's really just being a quote unquote homer. Um, you do have this happen a lot and people are not afraid on social media to call you out for it if it does happen. But I think the one thing that brings me joy whenever I'm getting ready to call a game in any sport is the ability knowing that you want to see the best being brought out of the individuals on the field and the teams bringing the best out of each other. Because if you're enjoying what you're seeing in the spectacle in front of you, that makes you fired up, ready to go. People and Joe mentions people will know that if you're kind of in it, like you're invested, you're ready, as opposed to being that phony, just overexcited, over the top, almost aggressive, excited. That's a difference. That's something that will help or really hurt your call. And um, yeah, like those are things that just get me going because end of the day, we we're calling sports. It's going to be fun. Yeah. uh, There's an old uh, saying in sales smile and dial. And the reason for that is because when you're smiling, your voice sounds so much better and people can hear it. They might not know it, but they can hear a difference. So whenever you're on air, you should always be smiling because one, come on, you're getting paid to broadcast sports. Why would you not be enjoying that? But like, it'll make you sound so much better and much more pleasant to the ears of your listeners. And, uh, and that's going to make them stick around. And also, I think it was Gus Johnson who says, you have to delight in the excellence of others. And obviously, Gus is very uh, exuberant on the air. But he said that's his philosophy, is he delights in the excellence of others. So when he sees a great play happen, that makes him happy. Like, he reacts as he's going to react. Yeah. Um, you know, he doesn't try to hold back because, well, that's not, that's not broadcastery to, you know, say something ludicrous or, you know, get up for a big play. Like you don't have to be Walter Cronkite when something crazy happens. Like the fans at home are going to be going nuts and losing their mind. Like give yourself a little bit of room to do that. Now for me, I can't pull off Gus's level of energy. So if I did that, it would just feel bad and it would feel forced. So you got to know where that line is for you. Um, and I think that's part of the, that fine line between being a fan of the game and being the press box cheerleader. Um, I think there's a good place for being a homer on a certain level. Like if you are working for a team or if you're working for a school, by all means, be a homer, be fair, 
still be objective, but be a homer. Because if I'm working for the Scranton Wilkesbury Rail Riders or Bucknell, like, yeah, I want them to win every game. Uh, you know, I'm not going to make any bones about that. Um, you know, I know where my know where your paycheck comes from, essentially, and know who your listeners are. But for example, at St. Peter's, they're on ESPN uh, three and plus, and for a lot of other games, you're on more of a neutral term. And in that case, you can't be a homer. Like, yeah, I still want St. Peter's to win because they cut my paychecks and I like the people there. But on air, it's got to be much more of an equal time thing. Um, I can't just make this broadcast about one side because that's going to infuriate the other half of fans. Um, and so it's, it's walking that line of being objectively a homer because the reason why national broadcasters get so much criticism, specifically Joe Buck and many others though, is because people are conditioned to want to hear homers. Like they'll say they don't, but they really do. So when they hear someone who's truly neutral, they think they're just pulling for the other team and that they hate their team. It's not that at all. They're being, they're being neutral and they're playing it down the middle. And yet people don't like that a lot. Yeah, no, you bring a lot of interesting points to the table. I mean, definitely cool to hear your side of it in terms of having that, the mentality of even if you're working for a group, you still have to have a little bit of the home side, but at the same time, you're trying to keep it neutral. The Joe Buck thing is definitely honest. And for me personally, like uh, I know people kind of get on him a lot, which is Tony Romo, but I kind of love when he's in the booth because he just gets excited about, well, trying to anticipate what package is coming and break it down. But like, that's for me, I, I love hearing that stuff. Um, and that's where I think it will be. It, again, all of this kind of just makes or breaks what your call is. But as we said, keeping your audience engaged, knowing your audience. And again, that goes back to earlier shows as well, but knowing your audience um, that is going to make all the difference. And like I said, if you have the positive mentality going into a show, if you're ready and excited to be there genuinely and have that authentic version of yourself, it's going to be a great day. Yeah. And, and another thing kind of on that is just like keeping people I don't want to say entertained because that almost makes it sound like you're, you know, you're a clown just juggling balls and, and doing things like that. And you're not necessarily, but like, don't shy away from like dropping a joke, uh, just a, a non, whether it's a non sequitur or just a, whatever it is, don't be afraid to do that. If it's within your natural personality and style of calling games. I mean, I hearken to with the Mets, Howie Rose and Josh Lewin when he was still with the Mets and, and even now that Howie's working with Wayne Randazzo, but Josh had just so many corny dad jokes and Seinfeld references, but like, that's who he is. And like, it was always very entertaining to listen to because I'd listen to it and just be cracking up at like how bad these dad jokes are. And I, I, I drop dad jokes all the time, all the time. Um, because I'm entertained and it just, it, when it comes up and, and you can do that and you can make your partner laugh on the air, which is always the, the best payoff from it. Um, you know, if you're having fun and laughing, your partner's having fun and laughing, the people at home are going to be having fun uh, as well. And that's, that's really what you're in the business for. It's like people are there to enjoy these games. So we as broadcasters play a role in making that happen. 
Definitely. I think it's a great place to leave it off. I will add this. If you get your partner to laugh or if you get anybody else in the press box to laugh with you, then I think you've really done your job. But yeah, I, I think we're going to leave it there for the show. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Again, having laughs and enjoying things because like we said, we're talking about sports. Always important. Just keeping that positive mentality going and you're going to go places. Uh, you, know, you can find us at a lot of different places. You can email us first at viewsfromtheboothpod at gmail.com. You can find us on social media on Twitter at the VFTB underscore pod, on Instagram at viewsfromtheboothpod, underscore pod, and on Facebook, Views from the Booth Podcast. Joe is at Joe Vasile PBP on Twitter, and Joe Vasile on Instagram. I'm at JJDuke21 on Twitter and jj.duke21 on Instagram. Uh, thanks for tuning into this episode from Views from the Booth. If you want to check out any of our previous episodes, you can do so by searching us everywhere where you get your podcasts. So until then, see you all next time.